0: Stick around to the end of the show, and I'll reveal how you can be on our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes. So let's get started. Jim Massey, welcome to Listening with Leaders. You are a chief sustainability officer and all about saving the world from ourselves.
1: And you can be found at jimmassey.co. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Doug. It's an honor to be here, and I appreciate you inviting me to have this conversation. Thank you. So let's start off with telling us a little bit about your backstory and how you got into this sustainability business. Well, Doug, I can tell you when I was a child, I wasn't thinking this is what I'm going to do. Right? Um, Like, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, and and especially the path that got me here. But what's fascinating for me is when I look I do understand it's always been tied to influencing human behavior. Um, I was raised to be a politician. I remember being in the third grade working, you know, to try to help Congressman Skelton get elected in Lexington, Missouri. Wow. Fast forward, you know, when I decided I didn't want to do politics after interning at the White House or spending a summer at the White House, I got into consumer marketing and sales and spent a decade there where I, I learned the importance of positioning an idea to get people to start changing behavior. And then I said yes to an opportunity to go into compliance, which everyone said, why are you killing your career? But (laughs) someone gave me a challenge to take something about human behavior and help it change for good. Compliance isn't evil. It's asking people to adhere to what the standards are. Right. Exactly. And, and after spending 15 years there overhauling the fundamentals um, I was asked to to build out a sustainability function at, at a previous organization, and that's when I realized, it, looking back, I, I've always been focused on changing human behavior, but now I proudly say I'm changing human behavior for good, both in permanence and impact, so I sum myself up as a behavioralist. Wow, interesting,
0: and here you are today, working and consulting with people, Um to help them build, help companies and organizations build sustainability programs.
1: And so when we talk about sustainability, what exactly are we talking about? So for me, it's about unleashing people and planet to do what they were intended to do and not try to control it. And, and you know, Doug, that sounds really ridiculous, but, you know, humans are part of a larger system. <laughs> but we, with our brains, try to make sense out of the chaos that surrounds us. And so we create built systems. Those built systems are educational, they're business, they are government, right? Um, But I time and time again, see humans build systems that often aren't meant for everyone. That's true. And so I'm trying to help create those systems. And, you know, I I even recently, as a practitioner in sustainability, helping, you know, helping companies find how they fit into the larger system. I I also recently wrote a book, Trust in Action, Mm -hmm. putting a model of trust out there for others because we're, we're at a time and place where I need everyone focused on this, not just a few. And so my ideas are, are open forum to anyone interested. So what, t- tell us about your book, trust in action. I mean, I trust, trust
0: is like a critical component of human interaction. I mean, without trust, you have nothing.
1: That's exactly it, Doug. And, and the challenge is I, I I always say we use the word trust, but when you ask people what they're talking about, I get a a wide range of answers.
0: So, so I'll, let me give you my definition of trust and see how it how it it comports with you. Trust is the um, amount of risk of betrayal that we're, we're willing to put with another person. High trust means we're willing to risk a lot because we think the risk of betrayal is very low. Low trust means that the risk of betrayal is high, and so we're not willing to to give them much
1: yeah it's wonderful right (laughs) um you know what's interesting for me and and i've never thought about trust as risk before if i'm being completely honest and and this is a a risk guy i'm a governance guy right in sustainability (laughs) they often refer to it as environmental social governance right and i always say i'm a g (laughs) right (laughs) you know i'm not environmentalist i've become that and i've become a social justice warrior but I, i truly am rooted in governance Right. And just being able to oversee. And so it in, I'm sitting here fascinated. I never thought about trust on a risk register before. You know, for me, trust is just, it's so innate. It, it's, you know it when it's there and you know when it's not. Right, that's it. Yeah, I want to make yeah. it more concrete. There and you so go. And so I developed Keep uh, going. A trust. <laughs> I'm sorry to interrupt because <laughs> you're on a roll. <laughs> go. <laughs> okay, okay. So I, I developed a trust model that is you know foundational and and it's rooted i always say i'm a scholar practitioner you know i was trained academically to always think and not just do and so you know i've had the pleasure of amazing coaches and multiple books on trust but they were often nine steps or four pieces and as a a behavioralist i know we remember in odds so i always boil things down to three Mm -hmm. so for me i've taken all this academic research and my practice as a executive in on the front lines of business. And, and I've boiled down trust into three building blocks of can, care, do. And these elements must coexist at any given time, and any imbalance breaks trust. And so trust is, is the currency of human interaction. And it's not just when two or more meet, it's also trusting yourself. And so the book explores this model that I was able to piece together during grad school for myself and what I used to transform myself, to transform my teams, to transform the world to give people the ability to start trusting themselves at a time when society is saying we're losing trust in the systems right. that we have built for for generations. Interesting. And, and I come
0: to the trust issue as a pivotal, as I, I'm a lawyer turned peacemaker.
1: Ah, yes, yes.
0: And so when I'm working in really, I'm either facilitating difficult conversations or I'm mediating difficult conflicts, there is no trust between the parties. Yes, and the only way only way we can come to resolution is to rebuild trust, and so that's why we I look at it from a risk perspective.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How much risk of betrayal are you willing to take, and how do we lower that risk? Yes, so that you feel like you can work with this other person. Yeah, what's really interesting is a colleague of mine, Paul Zach, who's a graduate professor at the Claremont Colleges in Southern California, did a groundbreaking study back in the early two thousands that showed that trust is mediated by the neurotransmitter oxytocin in the brain high levels of oxytocin high levels of trust low levels of oxytocin low levels of trust hmm. and how do you and how do humans how have humans over the millennia developed trust well one way you can develop trust is by touching each other because a little bit of you just touch shake hands releases a little bit of oxytocin if you sit and break bread with somebody have a meal that releases mm. oxytocin. That's why so many cultures have, uh, you know, the, the practice of having a meal over five Absolutely. hours before they, uh, before they ever get into business negotiations. You know, here in the West, west we don't do that, which is why there are low levels of trust. And trust is also, uh, oxytocin is also released, of course, in orgasm, which bonds pair bonding, right? Important yes. For our survival to reproduce and also lactation. So when a baby breast, a child mama, the the mom gets an oxytocin release to bond to the right.
1: That's how powerful this stuff is. It is. And and, and how um, primitive and sophisticated simultaneously it is. It's built into our being.
0: It absolutely
1: is. And And, and it's interesting when you talk about the mitigation of risk and being able to deal with others. As you were talking, I I think that is part of my model about the, the care. Does the other person have my best interest at heart? And, and, and that's one of the three elements that I, right. I boiled down to is, you know, being able to convey that you actually are. And I know one of the big things you talk about is listening. Right. And so it's one thing, whether you're a leader, a company to say, we will do X, Y, Z to save the world, but your actions, the do don't match. That's right. Right. And, and so, you know, that's why, that's why the do is so important. And the, the capability that I can is the skills, knowledge, and abilities to, 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 actually be able to accomplish the other two you know so they're all interconnected and that's why i always have about the three building blocks
0: that's right so it's it's can care and do yes to me the care is probably the most important because if you are not listening and paying attention to what's going on you can you can make things a lot worse you can be a do-gooder and do
1: bad (laughs) which we see a lot of (laughs) Which we we you know we now call greenwashing, right? Okay. <laughs> we we have a term for that. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Absolutely, Doug. So tell us more about your book. So you know, one of the fun things that I, I did when I was writing this is emphasizing that I'm a practitioner. So the book is part memoir. Okay. Anytime I enter a chapter, I I, I share these anecdotes mm-hmm. of of when I had to operate through the model. When I was trying to transform my team, and I realized they didn't believe me because they didn't believe I was capable. They just thought I was another leader coming in trying to put my foot, you know my my thumbprint on the future plan, and it was all about me. So I had to rework and and change things. and 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 Doug, there are times where I, I get very personal. It's everything from losing ninety pounds when I was asked to run the health team (laughs) to learning, you know, what greenhouse gas GHG and all these acronyms that can easily get lost because I was trying to transform a team that thought they were being transformative already by being one of the first companies in the world to do a commitment. But I, when they explained it to me, just my, my Midwest sensibility, if you allow me to have that, I'm like, that still feels icky. Like we're not doing enough. If you're telling me this is the crisis and we're only coming here, We need to close that gap further. But they didn't believe me because they didn't know what I didn't know, and I didn't either. So I actually had to trust myself on the can before I could go into the team and demonstrate my care. That's kind of a scary place to be, isn't it? (laughs) Time and time again, especially because as a leader, as I have grown up, you never showed you didn't know what you were doing. And so we're in a new era of, 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 transparency of vulnerability that's right to show others that and, and and doug you and i both are in this space right the problems we're facing today we have never faced before right. and so no one knows the solution so anyone telling you they know the path forward they're down the wrong path right so be, be aware that's right i mean I, I, um i'm a I, i've
0: been a tai chi practitioner for many years and in tai chi there are two paradoxes the first is the softer you are the stronger you are Mm-hmm. Second is the more vulnerable you are, the more powerful you are. Yes. Be strong, vulnerability, but powerful. And I'm teaching this and to my my clients and and my graduate students. And the idea is that vulnerability is good. Understanding emotions is good. Emotions are not toxic. We're 98% emotional and only 2% rational. So understanding yes. and mastering emotional competency is the critical skill of the 21st century. Um, and otherwise, there's no trust, right? If, if you're not transparent and vulnerable, if you're hiding stuff, people are thinking there's a risk of betrayal here. I'm not willing to, t- I'm not willing to take the risk. This guy's not honest with me.
1: Yes. And Doug, you know, talking emotion, um, you know, I, I've, I've received feedback from the world that I, I, I am emotional. And, and I say, yeah, I am you know, what we're talking about is saving humanity, saving our shared planet. That's right. this, this isn't some light, like, you know, I hope it works. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, you know, seeing, you know, I, I no longer talk about, um, you know, climate change. You know, we're in global heating. We've already progressed further than we should. And these are extreme weather events. These aren't episodic, you know, just random things. This right. is man-made built systems The natural system was working just fine, but we were trying to control it and take from it and declare it's all going to be okay if we just keep growing, growing, growing. And it's the opposite. And so there are many days because of my sadness and the emotion, it then motivates me to come back and keep talking and fighting for that, which I do believe we can correct within the built systems we have caused this. What kind of resistance do you get to your message? It's always fascinating um, you know, it, it ebb and flows. Some days it's for my immediate family at Christmas dinner, you know, because some <laughs> some think that, well, during the I say, you know, they, they throw out these extreme things because what we're talking about, I always come back to, you know, we're, you know, and I, I personally see a rise of conspiracy theories. Right. <laughs> but, but, you know, you, you see so many complex topics. Right. And so time and time again, Doug, I just always have to come back and try to listen to what it is they're trying to say. Right. Yes, they're gonna, they're gonna say, oh, Jim, that's that's not truthful, that, that's extreme. You're, you're e- East Coast elite or Western elite if I'm in you know, different parts of the world. And so I just have to take a step back, listen to their underlying concern, which takes me much more into the care of building trust, yeah, right. hearing their real desire, and then and then matching that I've heard them. I understand what they're going, and then nine out of ten times, once I stop trying to push my agenda, moving from the you know the the advocacy to the inquiry, then I'm able to really start moving the conversation to gain their alignment. There we go. So, and what you find, and I think this is true in with
0: a lot of issues, but climate change is certainly one of them. Is number one there's fear underlying absolutely. fear. Number two confusion because it, as you point out, it's extremely complex, and most people do not have the bandwidth to understand, even begin to grasp the complexity. So they simplified, and that's where the conspiracy theories come from. Conspiracy theories are nothing more than simplified beliefs that are explanatory in nature, and they soothe people's fear and anxiety. So they just jam onto it, and yes. they're hard to break once they're once they're embedded in the brain. But yeah. that's the cause of it, and I think I think the way you approach it is perfect. You, I call it listening people into existence. Yes Listen people into existence, uh, listen to their emotions, not their words, and reflect their emotions until they feel deeply understood. Then they're ready to receive new information.
1: Right? That, that is tangible. And then the other thing too, Doug, is being a student myself, learning the topics. right. Yeah, because when, <laughs> it is, you know when we, when we talk about, you know I'm looking around here, I, you know I try to eliminate my waste. But I still know that I have more waste than I should. And, and, and this is from someone very aware and conscientious about what I'm doing. So you can imagine someone, you know, one of my favorite examples is when I was trying to get a, a recycling program in India. And one of the employees shared with me, but I, I've worked so hard to have the status not to have to use something old, you know, but, but the whole idea that a, 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 a water bottle like this was... A status symbol of a, a negative one because it meant you couldn't afford to buy new. Boy, that started to really click with me. Yeah. What I was coming after it wasn't an ignorance, but a social norm that we had to start to try to address within the organization. I mean, and that makes perfect sense. I mean, you think of
0: people who have lived in poverty for generations, and for them, new is is a wealth identifier. It's a status symbol. Yes. And the idea of recycling or re- reusing old stuff is. Well, that's what we've been doing for generations. A, a sign of poverty, something I've worked hard to get out of. That's right. So there's so much, so much of this stuff is just culturally embedded in people. And I mean, you and, can you can look at other cultures where they just believe they don't have they don't they they just believe they can take and take and take from the land and from our environment with no consequence. Yes. Because and, I, I was gonna just the thought came to me, that's because they don't see a future. They live, in a, they live in a government or they live in a regime where there is no future. It's just all right now. So I'll take what I can get and I don't care about the future.
1: A personal identity of, of sheer survival for self. That's right. Right. And, you know, it's one of the things that, you know, um, one of the things I try to emphasize to people a lot is trust the three building blocks that I I, I propose as foundational to trust then allows once you understand the three variables at play let you put trust into action at the levels at which and so i always say trust exists at the self at the right. team and at the system so in this case those individuals who are just looking on survival is just take care of me right and and then the downside that i'm also seeing at the systemic level like if you take the united states i feel society as a whole is still just focused on me we've lost the collective and that's where I, I do enjoy getting out of my bubble sometimes to see societies where the collective still dominates. Right. And and that that's always it gives me hope, you know, to come back into the US and to have those conversations. Right. That, you know, we are a United States. And so how do we find our footing out of that white noise that can so easily paralyze us to think we don't have power? That's right. That's I teach I teach
0: a process how to have a calm conversation with the politically polarized. Mm -hmm. in that process it's all about listening and you ask four questions what are what what are all the life events that led you to have the beliefs that you have today how do your beliefs help you in your everyday decision making what do you do when you confront people who have different beliefs than you and how should our society be organized to accommodate all these different beliefs that may be polar polar opposites yes and if you ask those four questions from a place of all you're going to do is listen and reflect you will find that you have more in common with somebody who you think has views that are just repugnant than you would yes. ever imagine and we right? learn. we learn that that there are external factors that are trying to drive us apart for profit and absolutely
1: or, and we we have to learn to ignore those outside forces and and, and come back to the humanity and come the back connection our, that come, we share
0: yeah come back to come back to our commonality come back to the common ground i mean of course we're going to have differences of course we're going to have disagreements but those disagreements are in the context of a huge shared commonality. And we can always we can we can always agree to disagree. We can always find a way to move forward together, even
1: though we, we may have sharp disagreements. It's always yes. possible. Peace is always possible. It is. I I, I the one thing I will say, and you know, I do love again having been exposed to some brilliant ideas, you know, you talk about the most vulnerable is actually the the most powerful, the softest is the toughest. And polar polarization, you know, I've come to learn that, you know, the the polarities must coexist, but we often view them as one or the other. That's right. And
0: we manage we man we can't you can't fix a polarity. You can only manage it. Yes. And, and there's a book called Polarity Management was out many years ago that was very influential in my master's degree study. And we learned that there are when you manage a polarity well, good things happen. If you manage a polarity poorly, then bad things happen. So you have to yes. learn how to manage
1: polarities appropriately. And, you know, the, the one that did it for me was love and hate. There you go. Happiness and <laughs> sadness, right? You cannot know one without the other. Right. And so it's why they must coexist. That's right. And, uh, you know, it, it, inhale, exhale was, you know, the physicality one that got me into the understanding. But then as, as you know, the, 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 the coach that I had was walking me through. And so I think that that is the important thing is being able to recognize when it's a polarity and not trying to go That's on the exactly pendulum right. and That's embrace hard. it. That's right. And, and so and and
0: that, and then that's the most important thing is recognizing, hey, there's a polarity here. I mean, in, in business in org development, you know, it's the idea of we want everybody to be entrepreneurs, but then on the other hand, we want everybody to follow the rules, right? and, yeah, and we want to scale and have conformity. That's exactly right. And I mean, you see that all the time. and that's a poorly managed polarity. Um, you know, where where people are are trying to change a culture, but they don't they don't understand what they're dealing with. and difficult. It is really interesting
1: work. So the work you're doing now is primarily consulting work. No, no. So um, I, I I free advise. You know if people oh. need help, <laughs> but I'm in house um, at a company oh, okay. working. Yeah, still. You know, and, and ironically, it's I, I would say I'm an advisor internally. One of the things in my previous organization, I was at a, a FTSE one, <laughs> you know, I was at AstraZeneca now that I said FTSE one, you right. know, but um, at the pharmaceutical giant AstraZeneca, right. and I had more than, you know, 150 members of my global sustainability team. Wow! When I came to the current organization, ZI Laboratories, I made a commitment that I would be an N of one. And that what I would do is because... These experts we needed, we did need full time. And then to free their capacity to be with others, I worked with a third-party organization. They bring in the experts as I need, but then they can still go and advise and support other organizations on the same topics. So I have people who are continuously benchmarking, um, bringing in that expertise. So at Zai, we can build, I call it right from the start. So we are learning that we don't get to build bad and then correct and applaud ourselves. We build big um, We build good first. That's it. We 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 have decades, if not gener, you know, um, centuries of data telling us don't do that. Right. So let's do this way right. because we're we're trying to solve for things we've never solved before, and we right. know what hasn't worked. And how's it working in in your current company? You know, <clears throat> one of my favorite stories is equity. Right. You know, it's a hot topic, and many companies today say by twenty twenty five, by twenty thirty, we're going to have pay equity we have pay equity within the company. Yeah. We I mean, look. What, what's the, what's the stop? Why, why do we have to wait till 2025, right? Or 2030, some are even talking. Why not do it in 2023 right now? I mean, all right? you got, yeah, it makes no and, sense. And so we, you know, as, as the company has been growing, you know, we've been intentional with our growth and we, so it's not just pay equity, but we have leadership equity. We have as many men and women in leadership positions at VP levels, you know, so there's pay equity in director, right. management, individual contributors. But then the other thing that's really important to me, Doug, is I've seen this time and time again. I'm in the soft side of the business and sustainability. Right. So, um, you know, over the past three years, about 70% of chief sustainability officers have been placed as women, huh. and it's it's because the other roles are still predominantly male. At Zai, at Zai, what we're we're excited about is we have equity in the core of the business in stem right and we have it in pnl and that's to me what intentionality of building it right from the start is all about right and that and, and by the way it can be corrected at other companies they're just right. choosing not to because those built systems are still serving and working for those who built them that's right it, it, it and it serves to
0: protect uh, um, power position and privilege absolutely and, that, and we
1: have to get rid of that mentality um, again, that's, and, a, and that's a selfish mentality. It is. And I will say of the 70% of the CSO roles filled by women, they are overly qualified. They're highly competent. Right. They should be CEOs. So I don't want to say that they're getting it because they're women. Right. You yeah. know, th- These are brilliant leaders. So that's right. an important caveat I need to add. But the sad part is, is what's happening in those organizations? It's similar to diversity, equity, and inclusion leaders. Right. Right. The systems aren't changing, but they're being brought in, but they're not being supported. So some of the highest turnover are in these positions. Right. Because they're they're they're
0: there to make things look good, but not to really institute change. Right. Totally get it. All right. Well, that was a fast half hour. <laughs> <laughs> it flew by. I have one more question for you. This is more of a personal question. What's one thing that we wouldn't know about you, Jim,
1: unless you revealed it to us? Hmm. It's a great question. I think um, the the travel piece is an interesting one for me. Um, You know, I grew up in the great state of Missouri, um, where, you know, my mom taught folklore and Mark Twain. And, you know, the. um, I I get choked up here. I think uh, I think that what I found
0: really interesting is that you and your family have made it a point of visiting every state. And every na- on, you're on on a journey of visiting every national park.
1: Yes. And and, and I was going to say, Mark Twain is famously known for for quipping something of the equivalent to the enemy of hatred, bigotry, and racism is travel. There you go. When a man gets out of his world, he right. sees just how large it is. And, and that's why we've taken our kids. And, and this July, we'll finish all seven continents. Oh my goodness. That's amazing. We we had to we had to get the boys to to see that there's a world beyond Washington, DC. They were raised in a bubble. I was raised in very rural Missouri. Mm-hmm. They were raised in very urban Washington, DC. And so now we, we all have seen that there's a world much greater than us. That's that's a great
0: journey. And on that ending note, thank you so much for joining me today, Jim. It's been a great conversation.